Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. What I want to be able to do is speak with you all today just about how um, the, the, we've had so many people come to Christ lately. I want to talk about some of the very basic things that you might participate in our church service, but you don't even understand exactly what it means. What I spoke about two weeks ago, and wasn't that amazing picnic we had and baptized 12 people, right? That was just really awesome what the Lord did. But we talked about the importance of baptism. What I want to talk to you about today, and I'm going to talk very fast because there's so much to go over, is about the importance of communion. You might have given your life to Christ and you say, well, this is something they do every church service. They eat a little piece of bread and they drink a little bit of grape juice, but I have no idea what it means. Maybe you were even raised in a Christian tradition, maybe Catholic, you called it Mass or whatever your background was. But you know, if you ask yourself the question, you might think, well, it's just this this cute little symbol that God's given to the church. Well, I want us to think about today that God is not into rituals because there are things that happen in ritual. You can do them ritualistically. That's where the word comes from, where it loses its meaning and you go through the motions. But we don't want that to be. With these two ordinances that God has given to the church, one is to be baptized when you give your faith to Jesus Christ. You give your heart to the Lord. The second thing is to come together and eat what we call the Lord's Supper. Now, I want us to know that both of those are rooted in one event in the Old Testament. And that one event was the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt when they were held in the bondage of slavery. And so as we looked at baptism, what did we learn? That there was a type and a picture when the children of God, the Jews, were under the dominion of Pharaoh. Pharaoh represented the devil, the devil who wants to destroy your soul. He owns you, he keeps you into slavery so that the habits, the addictions, the problems, the mentalities, some of them with which you were born, some of that you inherited along the way, they become enslaving to us so that we miss the destiny of God. We actually can become owned by, by the enemy of our soul. So here you had the Jews, and they were the children of God. They, were, they had a promise, but they weren't free, and they were held down. The same thing for you. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you were born into this world. You were born into sin. God knew who you were that were going to be followers of Jesus Christ. But since the moment you were born, the devil has tried to keep you into bondage so that you don't understand the promises that God has for you and the blessings that he has for you. So the Jews represented the believer, the one who wants to follow the Lord. Pharaoh represents the devil that holds them into slavery so they can't be free to follow God and come into the fullness of his destiny. But then God raises up a deliverer. And what was his name? That man's name was Moses. What did Moses represent? Moses represents Jesus, who comes to set the captive free, to deliver them from the power of the devil, to bring them into the promises of God, to bring them into the life that God always planned. And for the believer, it doesn't mean just the promises in this life, but also the promises of eternal life. Can you say amen to that, right? That's what God has for you. But then we find out that when the children of Israel were set free by the deliverer Moses, he brings them up to the Red Sea. What did the Red Sea represent? It represents the believer who's set free from the power of the devil, but that when he's on his journey, the devil says, but I want them back. I want them in slavery. I I regret the fact that they've been let go. But they were coming up to the Red Sea, and what did God do? He parted the Red Sea, and the children of Israel, those with the promise, walked through the Red Sea. And Pharaoh the devil says, I'm going to go after them, and I'm going to get them back. And the Red Sea, though, represented their baptism. And so when they walked through their baptism, the devil tried to get them, but the waters came and overflowed them, and the devil came to realize Pharaoh and his army, I can no longer possess these people they belong to the Lord right that's what it's all about well now we're going to look at communion it's the exact same event of what's going on I want to talk about it in the context of the Passover meal because that's what Jesus was celebrating and I'll explain that today to all of our new believers but in the meantime let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 22 Can we do that? Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22 and let's read the story when Jesus gave us 
the commandment to eat the bread and to drink the cup. They were celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a celebration called Passover. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the scribes are trying to find a way to put him to death since they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered into Judas, the one called Iscariot, who belonged to the number of the twelve, and he left and discussed with the chief priests and the officers how he was to betray him to them. And they were delighted and agreed to give him money. And so he consented and began looking for a good opportunity to betray him, to, to, the, to betray him to them away from the crowd. So let's just be conscious of the fact we're talking key players here. The devil, like the Pharaoh, wanted to kill Jesus. Now the first day of unleavened bread came on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. They said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large unfurnished upstairs room. Prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as it had been told them. And they prepared the Passover, the Lord's Supper. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffered, before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is being given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with me is with mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to debate among themselves which one of them it was who was going to do this. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word today. And I pray, God, that you would honor it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're finding out that the power of Satan was broken over the lives of, the, of God's people at this event called the Passover. What is this Passover event that we're talking about? Well, I'm, I'm sorry that this is a lot of reading, but turn now in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Jesus goes into the upper room and they're eating the Passover meal together. It was miraculously, the space was miraculously provided for by God in His providence. What is this Passover meal that they're eating? Exodus chapter 12. We're just going to read a few verses here. Starting to read in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year for you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are, each one, to take a lamb for themselves, according to the Father's household, a lamb for each household. So let's stop there for just a moment. What is going on? God is already setting the stage that the children of Israel, the Jews, will be set free from the power of Pharaoh. How does he do that? He brings ten plagues upon the nation of Egypt. Now we're reading about the tenth plague. It's meant to weary Pharaoh of, of having the, the children of God. This tenth plague is going to be this, that if Pharaoh does not let the children of Israel go from Egypt, then he is, the plague that will come upon them is that the firstborn of every household, whether they are Egyptians or even whether they are the children of God, even if it's the animals that are out there in the fields, the firstborn will die 
if Pharaoh does not let the children of God go. So here's the remedy that God has. He says to tell Pharaoh, the nation of Egypt, that every household is to get a lamb. Every one of them. So all the nation, all the people in the nation of Egypt, whether they are the children of God or whether they are the Egyptians. In other words, this is what's being said. Everyone needs to have a lamb for their household. Everyone needs to be responsible to a lamb. A lamb is going to be the deliverer. A lamb is going to be the savior of that household. Everyone, in order to be able to be right with God, has to have a lamb. What is this the picture of? When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That Lamb represented the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone must be accountable to the Lamb of God. Everyone, whether you feel as though you've come from a religious background and you feel safe and secure in that, or whether you feel as though you're just an Egyptian in this world, living according to your own will, the God says there's one way to get out of the judgment that's coming against all humanity. And that is, get a lamb. Get a lamb because a lamb will save you. If you feel as though that your sins have mounted up against you and you deserve death, the Lord says, well, if you have brought death upon your household, then get a lamb. Go get a lamb and let your death that you deserve be placed upon the lamb, the lamb of God. And this is a beautiful picture given to us thousands of years before so that God would understand that he has provided for all humanity a way of escape so that we can receive eternal life. And so the, the Lord is commanding them and revealing to them that there's coming a Messiah who will take away your sins so that you don't bear, bear the punishment of all humanity. But in verse 5, here is what you do. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to slaughter it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. The Lord says this, you take that lamb, and he uses a very harsh word there. He says you slaughter it. You just slaughter it. You shed its blood. And the Lord says once you shed that lamb's blood, because it's an answer, for you to be set free from the power of your sin and the slavery of Pharaoh, I want you to know that if you embrace that lamb, then he says, I want you to do this. I want you to eat it. I want you to make sure you eat that lamb. You don't just let his blood fall there on the ground. You eat that lamb. You consume it. You take it in. Jesus preached a sermon that he had close to 10,000 people following him. And he preached one sermon that they couldn't take. And he's reduced back to a handful of disciples. And he says, you have to eat my flesh and you have to drink my blood. That was a sermon that was too hard. It sounded like cannibalism, didn't it? But Jesus is referring to the role of the lamb in every individual's life. He's telling him this. I'm going to be all in for you. I'm going to be a lamb that sheds it all. I'm not just going to die. He didn't say, oh, why don't you just suffocate that lamb? No, he says, why don't you, you have to slaughter it. You have to lay out its blood. It has to be a brutal death because it's representing my death. And Jesus is saying this, I'm going to be all in for you. And if I'm going to be all in for you, then you better take me and I better be all in you when you receive me. Yes. All in. That's what Jesus is saying. Are you all in? He's saying, listen, I'm not, just, I, I'm not just the dessert at the end of a meal. I'm not a little slice of pie in your life. That's not what I am. I'm not just a little segment. I'm not just, a, I'm not just one piece of a seven-course meal. Jesus says, I am the whole meal. I am all in for you. And Jesus said, if I'm going to be all in for you, you know who's going to be mine? Those who are all in for me. And that's what it's about. He says, you got to eat my flesh and you got to drink my blood. And when you and I come together for communion, what are we saying? We're, 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 we're committing ourselves to the Lord again and we're saying, I'm all in. Yes. 
I'm all in no matter what the cost is. Jesus said anyone who would follow me has to take up his cross. Jesus says, I have a cross in my future for you. Do you have a cross in your future for me? That's what I'm calling you to. And when Jesus said this, is then when you eat that bread, I want you to do this. I want you to eat unleavened bread with me. When you eat the lamb, I want you to eat the unleavened bread. What does leaven represent? Le leaven represents sin in the scriptures to the Jewish people. And the Lord is saying this. When you come and you take the Lord's Supper, you're just saying this is that when it comes to my flesh, Jesus said the, the bread represents his flesh. When it comes to my flesh, I'm going to eat this Lord's Supper and there's not going to be any leaven in me. And the Lord is just saying to us that when you come to the Lord's Supper, it's the reminder that the Lord has given to us that when it comes to our flesh, it's time to make sure it's unleavened. Listen, the Apostle Paul said this, when I sin as a believer, it's not me that sins. That sounds presumptuous. But no, he knew he was washed completely clean with the blood of Jesus Christ, that he was a new creation. He knew it. When you come to the Lord's Supper, it's Jesus that made you worthy to come to the Lord's Supper. You don't have to try to find worthiness. He made you worthy to eat the Lord's Supper. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. But when you come, you come with unleavened bread. You realize this. The Apostle Paul said, when I sin, it's not sin that dwells. It's not me that sins, but it's sin that dwells in my flesh. My flesh has sinned. Since the last time I took the Lord's Supper, I realized this, that I'm a new creation, but there's some sin still in my flesh. And I don't let it stop me from coming to the Lord's Supper. No, I come to the Lord's Supper saying this, Lord God, since I had communion last, there's still some things in my flesh that have got to go, but I'm coming to you today with a clean heart. And he says, you eat the flesh, you eat the bread with, with bitter herbs. In other words, you're saying this, I'm going to identify with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I come to him, yes, I, I am a new creation. I'm completely clean. But in my flesh, I'm going to come to the Lord and say, God, but I'm giving you to, the, to you the deeds of my flesh and wash me clean. Lord, of some of the mindsets, the unforgiveness, the, the bitterness, the anger, the, the different things that get into my flesh. The Apostle Paul described the deeds of the flesh as things like wanting to learn mysteries through like the horoscope and witchcraft and, and all those kind of things. It's like drunkenness and it's like unforgiveness. It's anger. These are all things that are in my flesh in spite of the fact that I'm a Christian. And the Lord says, when you come to the table, just come with unleavened bread and just say, Lord Jesus, those things are in my flesh, but I'm clean. And I'm going to eat the bitter herbs. In other words, I'm going to identify with this. The bitter herbs represent the bitterness of Jesus' death. And what you're saying when you take that communion is you're saying, Lord Jesus, I'm going to pray like the Apostle Paul prayed, that I would know you and the power of your resurrection and also, and also, the fellowship of your suffering, being conformed to your death. In other words, when you come to communion, you're saying, Jesus, you fought against sin to the point where you had to shed your blood. I'm coming to you with flesh that needs to be unleavened, and I'm recommitting myself to you that no matter what the cost, I will fight this thing of sin that wants to be, take dominion over me. And I will not have it. It's not a guilt. It's not a guilt. It's a recommitment every time we come together that I am in this to live for the Lord. Isn't that right? That sounds good. And that's what it's all about. So then he goes down to verse 11. Now you shall eat it this way, with your garment belt around your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. So the Lord says this. When you take communion, when we come together as a church, be ready for a trip. Be ready to go on a trip. Be ready, listen, 
be ready to serve the Lord again. Do you know what happens to us in the course of this life as we're living for the Lord? There's an accumulation effect that happens to us when we begin to take on senses of guilt and condemnation and shame. They are immobilizing. Listen, the call of communion is a call to activation and mobilization and getting back on track. All it is, is a sign, a marker that the Lord has placed upon the road to say, get back in the game. Get back in the game. Christ has called you to be righteous so that you can keep on running. Keep on running. I love that. The Lord says, for I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and fatally strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn to animals against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The Lord says you were to do this. When you kill that lamb and you eat its flesh, I want you to dip hyssop branches. And that's a, those, you've seen the pictures of the Western Wall in Israel? You know those bushes that grow out of the walls? That's hyssop. And so the Lord says, you take, that blood, you take that branch and you dip it in the blood of that sacrificed lamb and you strike it on the lentils and you strike it on the doorposts of your house. And the Lord is saying this, is that when you enter into the covenant blood agreement, that you are saying this. It doesn't say strike it on the chimney. It doesn't say strike it on the roof. It doesn't say strike it on the walls. It doesn't say strike the blood on the foundation. No, it says, the Lord is saying this. You strike that blood on that place where you can declare that nothing has access to you or to your household. There is no Access. When you come and you take communion here, what you are doing on a Sunday morning is that you are not just saying, oh, God's going to watch out or God's going to be the foundation or what. You are saying this, nothing has access to my life. I am protected by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why you can say to the devil, I resist you in the name of Jesus and devil the devil, the highest archangel ever created, has no access to your life. He has no access to your health. He has no access to your well-being. He has no access to your mental fitness. He has no access to the produce that is in your cupboard. He has no access to your protection. He has no access to your soul. He has no access to your children. He has no access to your grandchildren. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. When you take communion, you are testifying. That is your testimony. I am covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you receive communion, it should come with a declaration inside of your heart. If there's any place where a robber is coming into the front door of your life, you need to declare by the blood of Jesus Christ, my household is covered with the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus stands between my grandchildren and the enemy. The blood of Jesus stands between my children and the enemy. The blood of Jesus stands between my health and healing and the enemy. The blood of Jesus covers your life. Can you say amen to that? Right? So why, why, why? Why do we take communion? Well, God gave it as a covenant to the nation of Israel. He knew that once a year they were going to need that reminder. But you and I don't live in an Old Testament covenant of rules and regulations and of religions and mandates or any such thing. No, but you and I live in a constant Constant dwelling awareness of Jesus' presence in our life and the blood of Jesus. We get to do this thing as often as we want. It's so amazing. The Lord told them in Exodus chapter 2 that they're supposed to keep this covenant for one day a year. 
There is power in reminder. When you and I come together to eat the Lord's Supper, there is power in that reminder. Please do not allow it to be something on a Sunday morning where you're distracted and it happens and just before you know it's over and you're just, um, it didn't even mark your life. It's, it's, it's a smacking of the blood on the lentil on the doorpost. Every time we come together, do not allow it for a moment to be anything that's routine. Because this is agreement of a covenant. And I want to describe what covenant means for us. Do you realize that you're in a covenant with God? What is a covenant? A covenant is the highest form of agreement God makes with anyone. It's not a commitment. It's not like if, oh, I got saved and God decided he's committed to me. God's way more than committed to you. He is committed, but it's way more than that. It's way more than just saying, well, God's in a contract with me. God and I are in a good contract. No, it has nothing to do with contracts. Contracts can be broken. With a contract, it's two parties. One or the other can break a contract, but in a covenant, even if one finds himself faithless, God will still remain faithful. A Do you know what the word covenant means when it says that you're in a covenant? The word covenant means a cutting. It's a cutting. We kind of use the phrase, we cut a deal. Well, that might be rooted in the idea that you cut a covenant. You couldn't have a covenant with God unless something got cut. Something or someone was cut. And because it was sealed with the cutting of someone, the person who was in a covenant realized this. A great price was paid so that I could be secure. Somebody died so that I could be in an agreement. When we come and we take the Lord's Supper, we're reminding ourselves someone died so that I could be right with God. I want us to turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 15 because here we have the picture of the covenant cutting. As we look at this passage right here, we understand this is Abraham. Before his name was Abraham, it was still Abram. God hadn't changed his name yet, and the truth is Abram was still trying to figure out what kind of God he was in covenant with. He had no idea. Remember, Abram was a worshiper of many gods. And suddenly, one of the gods he worshipped spoke to him. But he didn't have any idea what kind of God he was. Is he a God to keep his promises or... What if he was following some God who didn't keep his promises? Could he lie? Is he faithful? Does he have the power to do what he says he can do? What kind of God is this? As we're looking at this passage right here, you see Abraham still trying to figure out what kind of God he's following. All he knew is he was the first God that had spoken to him. So in Isaiah, in Genesis chapter 15, in these, in these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram. I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be great. In other words, if you follow me and obey me, you'll get reward. That's good to know. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram also said, since you have given me no son, one who has been born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he took him outside and he says, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord. See, it's a process. 
And he credited it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, the Chaldees, to give you this land to possess it. But he said, Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? And he said to him, now watch what a covenant looks like. Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him, and he cut them in two, and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. And birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Then God said to Abraham, You know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the wrongdoing of the Amorite is not yet complete. Now it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. Behold, a smoking oven and a flaming torch appeared, which passed between these places. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. So let's explain this for a moment. Can we just do that? Abraham's trying to figure out, what kind of God am I following? God says, I'll reward you if you obey me. And then Abraham decided, I'm going to believe in this God. And God said to this man who was very imperfect, a sinner just like you and I, God says, because you believed in him, I'm going to count it as your righteousness. Because when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you receive his righteousness, and it covers all your sins. Then he said to Abraham, listen, I'm in a covenant. I'm going to cut a covenant with you. I want you to kill a cow. I want you to kill a ram. And I want you to kill a goat. You're going to divide him in half. And if you and I enter into that covenant, Abraham, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you an inheritance. But you need to know, you're going to die as an old man in a good age, and I'm going to be with you. But my covenant's not going to be with you. Why? Because the blood covenant is not upon you only, but it's upon your descendants as well. And then the Lord just lets him know, Abraham, what's going to happen is that your descendants are for, for 400 years are going to become slaves in Egypt. But I want you to know, I'm cutting a covenant with you. And even though there's going to be 400 years of trouble, I am in a covenant with you, and I will be faithful to them. And if God's in a covenant with you, with the Lord Jesus Christ, he will be faithful to you, even if you have a season where you find yourself in a predicament that you'll never know how you're going to get out of. I want you to know, if you're in that right now, you count on the Lord, because God is in a covenant with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what happened to, in, in the middle of all of that, God says, but they're, they're gonna, it's going to be 400 years, but I'm going to bring them back to the land, Abram, that I've promised you. And the Lord's saying, hey, something good's going to happen in the delay. People that are living in, in the, where Israel will be someday, their wickedness has gotten to, not gotten to the point yet where they deserve the judgment of being overrun by another people. So I'm going to, during that time, the wickedness, see, the wickedness of a nation, God can overlook, but there's a point of wickedness that you get where you invite the judgment of the Lord. And they were not there yet. So the Lord says, when you get, go into that land and it's a judgment upon them, it's going to be time for them to experience my judgment. And so God was faithful in that promise. But I want us to understand this. Is this is what happened when you cut a covenant with someone. You took these animals and you cut them right down in half. And you took the bodies and you put them on two different sides. The people that were entering into the covenant, you have to understand their hands were covered with blood. Their robes were covered with blood. And they would part these animals, and the two men making a covenant with each other would walk down a path of blood between the animals. And they were saying this, this is an unbreakable agreement that we are in, and we will always remember, we're always going to be reminded that we are in a blood covenant agreement and something died in order for us to be safe in this agreement. 
they would both walk through that place, their hands, their robes, and particularly their feet. In other words, it means this. Wherever they journey, whatever happens, it's going to be marked with a covenant between them. We might find ourselves at odds. We might find ourselves in different countries. But we are, our feet are covered with the covenant blood. The Lord is with you wherever you go because your feet are covered with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've entered into a covenant. He will never leave you or forsake you no matter where your feet take you. That's the promise of God. And so what happens is they're supposed to both walk through the animals covered with the blood. But something strange happens in this covenant. God himself, appearing as an oven and as a torch, lit with the flaming fires of his purity, passes between those animals in that covenant with Abram. But God never made Abram walk through that covenant path. Why is that? Because Jesus himself, when he made a covenant with us, was the only one that was worthy enough to walk between the animals. He's the, he had to go to the cross alone. We couldn't go with him. None of us could. We say to ourselves, why did the disciples abandon Jesus? Why didn't they stick with him and go to the cross? You know why? Because God could not allow it. They were not worthy to pass between the animals. They were, we and I were not enter, worthy to enter into this covenant agreement, but God himself went with us. But here's the most amazing thing, is that when Jesus came and he lived among us, he was the perfect man who could walk between the cut animals on our behalf. Abraham couldn't do it, but Jesus could. And when Jesus Christ came, he went, and he went to the cross alone for you and I. Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And the most amazing thing about all of this is that Jesus paid the entire price for us. Jesus is the one who, with the Father, hands covered with blood, robes covered with blood, and feet covered with blood. And Jesus walked that path for you and I. Listen, stop being disqualified as a Christian. Jesus is the one who has qualified you. Jesus is your righteousness. Jesus is your holiness. Jesus is your peace. Today, celebrate the Lord Jesus when we come together. Why did I spend so much time talking about covenant? Luke 22 again, when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and giving thanks, he said, take this and share it. Here, look. Jesus took the cup at the supper. And he said to all of them in the room, he says, you take this, take this and share this cup. You know, we live in a day now of online church. But I'll tell you, there's a weakness to online church. Is that we don't share the cup anymore. We don't share the covenant. I'm telling you that Jesus is letting us know this, is that this covenant is not just between us individually and Jesus, but the covenant we have with Jesus is a covenant to drink the cup together. My covenant with Jesus is the same as my covenant with you. I'm in a covenant agreement with you that we will walk together, we will talk together, we will worship together, we will love together, and we will forgive. I want you to know something. If your church is online church, you can't practice forgiveness because no one's offending you. If you want to walk in forgiveness, you got to walk the path of offense. Amen. you got to walk with people who rub you the wrong way. 
Sometimes I rub you the wrong way, and truthfully, sometimes you rub me the wrong way. That's just the truth. But you cannot begin to imagine that you are walking in forgiveness if you're isolated. Oh, church hurt me. Oh, well, get used to it, really. Honestly. Who hasn't been hurt by a Christian? Seriously. You cannot be perfected in love unless you're in the furnace of relationship. It's the only way. Jesus said, when you drink this cup, drink it together. Drink it together. What does communion remind me of when we come together? Come up to get communion, and you're thinking, yeah, there they are, sitting on the other side of the sanctuary. Wonder what they're thinking about. I know what I'm thinking about. And what does it cause you? What does a communion cup cause you to do? It reminds you your covenant with Jesus is your covenant with your brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. Let every man examine himself, the scripture says. Communion reminds me of my beautiful relationship with God, but it also reminds me of my beautiful relationship with you. Yeah, covenant. We're in covenant with each other. We're in covenant we're not going to cast shade on each other. We're in covenant that we're not going to gossip behind each other's back. We're in covenant that we are, we are going to care about each other. That's our covenant agreement. We watch out for each other. I'm in a covenant with you because I'm in a covenant with Jesus. The covenant is a covenant of forgiveness. How can I say that I'm walking in a covenant forgiveness agreement with God if I am not practicing covenant forgiveness with each and every one of my brothers and sisters in Christ? It has to be. I'm telling you, here's the truth. Adulteries can hurt churches. Smoking is a, our, our agreed thing that we don't do. Alcoholism can hurt churches, but nothing hurts churches. Like the power of the tongue. Jesus said it's lit with the flames of hell. There's a lot of body parts you think that you could mention are lit with the flames of hell, but the Lord says it's the tongue. And the Lord would just remind us when we come together, of our covenant. So the Lord wants us to walk in this place of covenant where we drink the cup together. Jesus said, For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and gave thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them. Listen, he broke the bread and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is being given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after he had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. An unbreakable bond. How do you make a covenant? You cut it. Picture the visual. Picture the cow cut in two. Picture the ram cut in two. Picture the goat cut in two that they walked between. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and this is what he does. He said, this bread is my flesh. I'm the bull that was cut in half. I'm the ram that was cut in half. I'm the goat that was cut in half. I am the body that was slaughtered for you. It's amazing. The invitation to the broken bread 
For Jesus at that moment, he knew exactly what it meant. It says, in, right, he gave this teaching right before he suffered. Right before he suffered. When I take communion, I think, Jesus, when you did this with your disciples, it was right before you suffered. When should we eat it? Jesus said, as often as you eat it. Come together in that. So he says, in 1 Corinthians 11, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a person must examine himself, and so doing is to eat the bread and drink the cup. For the one who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not properly recognize the body. And I'm sorry for the sake of time, i got to go quickly on that, but the Lord didn't say, when you come to the table, eat it, in a, eat it if you're worthy. He didn't say you, you're worthy to eat it. None of us are. But he says, in how you receive the cup, make sure you're receiving it worthily. Not that you're worthy, but that in your manner in which you take it, you're eating it worthily. And what he's saying there is, if you're not discerning the Lord's body, who was the Lord's body? It's all the believers. The Lord says, if you take this in such a way, if you enter into the covenant agreement of communion, but you're operating in unforgiveness towards anyone, the Lord is saying that you are bringing a judgment upon your person. And he says, some of you are sick and some of you are asleep. It means some of you have died. That's, that's mind-boggling to me. But the Lord is saying, this is a covenant between me and you and my entire body. And the Lord says, when you take it, receive it correctly. But then finally, let me just say this for the sake of time. Here's how I advise you to receive communion. First off, every time you receive communion, do this. Silence the accuser who accuses you of your past. He'll try to do it every time if he can get away with it. Leviticus 17.11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. What does the word atonement mean? Just picture the word. A-T at one mint. In other words, the Lord says this, when you receive communion, every time you receive it, just say, this is a covenant of atonement. I am at one with God. I have been reconciled. Silence the accuser. Secondly, cleanse your temple. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You've been bought for a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Here's what you do. When you come to the communion table, do this. Especially when it comes, we live in a very sexualized world. When you come before the Lord, just say this, Lord, sexual immorality in thought, action, or whatever is a sin against myself. The Lord just says, but you've been bought with a price. You've been paid for. So when you come to communion, you just confess the sins of the flesh. And you say, God, forgive me for the sins that I committed against myself. Third thing, understand that communion has come to remove darkness out of your life. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I want you to understand the power of coming to the, with the body of Christ to receive communion. The Lord describes that as walking in the light. You receive the light of God by receiving communion with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a means of walking in light. If we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sins. There is a cleansing in the communion table by practicing covenant together. A fourth thing, it'll clean your conscience. 
Don't be surprised when you go to take communion if your conscience bothers you. But here's how you respond to it. You say, no, I come to communion because it reminds me that my clean conscience was bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. The fellowship of the saints. Hebrews 9.11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things having to come, let me, let me go a little down to verse 13. If the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, okay, if the Old Testament had the killing of animals, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Jesus said, whenever you come together, have communion. Why? So that the people will come and they'll clean their consciences. And you're reminded there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The blood of Christ empowers you. Hebrews 13, 20. May the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant that is Jesus our Lord equip you in every good thing to do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Every time you take communion, let me just say this. Don't just receive the bread and the cup. Receive the power of God. It's the release of the power of God in your life. You know what it is? It's the license to get back up and do what God's called you to do. To be empowered. Receive the Holy Spirit fresh and new every time you receive the communion. Finally, Exodus 12, 13, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you live, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will come upon you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So what am I talking about there? Receive once again the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ over your household. We discovered that. We discussed that already. It's a reminder for you to plead the blood to examine where the enemy might have come to the front door of your life. And in the name of Jesus, when you receive the blood, you just resist the devil and he's got to flee. Can you say amen? Let's all stand up. Father, I thank you for the blood covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to speak over all of you today and make this declaration that the blood of Jesus Christ covers your household. It stands between you and any strategy of the enemy. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.